Welcome to TWNL. I'm Scott Winnale. Many have heard about the annual biblical festivals, or at least a couple of them, the Passover and the Feast of Pentecost. Maybe you've even heard of Rosh Hashanah, called in the Bible the Feast of Trumpets, or Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But what about the other three annual festivals, including the Feast of Unleavened Bread? God gave these feasts to the ancient Israelites, but are these feasts just for the Jews? Just because Jesus Christ kept them almost 2,000 years ago, should we still keep them today? Were the biblical festivals, including the Feast of Unleavened Bread, kept after the death of Christ? And if God wants us to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread, how do we keep it? And what significance does it have for us today? Today's two guests know the biblical festivals well. They will help answer these questions and share some biblical truths you may have never heard before. I'd like to introduce again a returning guest, Mr. Wyatt Seselka. Mr. Seselka is a former university theology faculty member, a Tomorrow's World writer, and a church pastor and minister. So it's good to have you here with us again. Thank you. I'd also like to welcome Mr. Anthony Stroud. Mr. Stroud is a pastor with many years of experience keeping and teaching the biblical holy days. He's also joining us via Skype from Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome, Mr. Stroud. Thank you, Mr. Uh, uh, Dr. Scott Winnell and Mr. Sasevko. Welcome to both of you. <clears throat> uh, it's good to be here with you, gentlemen. I do want to mention for our audience, we will not be taking live questions today from our audience since we're actually pre-recording this program. We're unable to air live today due to our celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. However, if you would like to post questions, we'll do our best to get back to you in the days ahead. Also, we encourage you to be sure to subscribe to, like, or share today's program. Well, Mr. Stroud, let's start with you. Uh, an overview question here. How do we know that God still expects us to keep the biblical holy days today? Why do we need to keep them today? Well, first of all, Dr. Winnell, thank you for the question. And I'll respond by saying this. First of all, they reveal the most incredible plan of salvation that God has for mankind. And, they, and, and another important point to remember about these holy days is that they are God's feast. They are his holy days. Okay, so they, they do show a plan of God. They're his holy days. Mr. Soselko, what do you have to add to that? Uh, thank you for inviting me on this uh, for this program, Dr. Scott. <clears throat> you know, I would say that it's important to remember what the Bible reveals about Jesus Christ and, and the Bible itself. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 reveals that the Bible, that scripture is, is inspired by God, it's God-breathed, it's profitable for instruction and so forth. <clears throat> so we want to look to scripture, not to man-made traditions and so forth. Of course, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, uh, it reveals that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we believe in scripture, mm -hmm. then we're drawn to basically accept two points right off the bat, which is number one, we've got to look to the Bible for instruction. Number two, we have to look for G to Jesus Christ and his example. Mm -hmm. All right, Jesus Christ and his example. Mr. Stroud, other thoughts here, um, insights, maybe scriptural ideas of why we need to keep these holy days today. Well, uh, one of the things I would like to add to what Mr. Sessler said, he mentioned that uh, about the Bible and the fact that God has inspired this. Also, in 2 Peter 2, 2 mm. uh, Peter 1, I'm sorry, verse 21, mentions the fact that God gave 
uh, he inspired me and led by his Holy Spirit to make sure his word is recorded factually and that we can learn to live by it. And when we think about these feast days, we look at mm -hmm. Leviticus 23, which describes them in great detail. Okay, Leviticus 23 describes them in great detail. I'm, I'm thinking of Leviticus 23 as well. Uh, does God give us any indication of whose holy days these are? Are these holy days that were just for ancient Israel um, or the Jews? Uh, no, actually, what's incredible about it is God makes it very plain that these are my feasts. He says the feast of the Lord, not the feast of man, nor the feast of the Jews, but the feast of God. And that makes it so much more special as we recognize uh, that God has inspired an incredible plan uh, to redeem and to save mankind. Okay, thank you. Mr. Selka. No, and I think that's such a, a wonderful way to phrase it, Mr. Stroud, that it's a wonderful plan. These are the Lord's feasts. And so we look at what did our Savior, Jesus Christ, and our example do? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm turning my Bible to Matthew 26. <clears throat> Here we have in the New Testament, um, now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, had come. And so Jesus says, um, uh, the, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do you want us to prepare and eat the Passover and so forth? And so I won't read through it all, but here you have an example of Jesus Christ keeping the Passover. Of course, he was going to become the Passover. We'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. And uh, observing the days of unleavened bread. And his followers expected that they would keep those feasts. Isn't that interesting? So you can't get much closer to the, the founder of Christianity and the example we should follow than the disciples of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. asking him, well, the holy days are upon us, we're observing them. And if I could just oh. add one additional comment, um, many of our listeners may be aware of this, but in John chapter seven, it's just fascinating. Now this is a different feast and I'll just make this point mm -hmm. quickly. Mm -hmm. This is a different feast. This <clears throat> is the Feast of Tabernacles. But here, one, one more time, we have uh, Jesus Christ keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. And he tells his uh, disciples in verse uh, uh, 8, go keep the feast, and his brothers. And then in verse uh, 10, he goes up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. Yeah. So keeping those feasts. So Christ did it. He commanded his brothers to keep it. Mr. Stroud, are you still with us? Can you still hear us, sir? Okay, it looks like we've lost him temporarily. Something's me... happened to I cannot hear anymore. Okay. Ah, well, technical, technical difficulties. difficulties. <laughs> yeah, it's a challenge. I'm going to come back to you, Mr. Siselko, with um, the examples you're giving in the New Testament. Some people might say, well, it's all good and well that Jesus Christ, the founder of Christianity, kept these days, but he was a Jew. And right. so he, was, he may have been just keeping his Jewish holy days so he didn't offend anybody. Do we have any examples of the feasts being kept after Jesus Christ's death. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, we do. We have uh, Paul, um, of course, keeping the, the Sabbath, which you asked about the feast. And I, I'll mention in, I think it's Acts 13, around verses 42, 43, 44, uh, Paul um, tells Jews and Gentiles, right? And all Gentile mean is, it means is you're not a Jew, right? You could be uh, Italian, you could be German, you could be Japanese, you could be any, you know, and, and he tells um, the Jews and the Gentiles to keep the, uh, the, the Sabbath mm -hmm. on Saturday. So there you have that example. Um, <clears throat> we know in uh, Acts 27, um, Paul is, is talking about the Day of Atonement 
uh, and he was uh, keeping it, and he was instructing the, uh, the church to keep it. Um, we, we even know in uh, uh, Zechariah 14, a very famous verse, Zechariah 14, verse 16, that all nations in the future will keep the feasts, Jew or Gentile. So, so do we have examples of, um, of people who are not Jews uh, keeping, the, the, frankly, the Seventh-day Sabbath and the feast? Mm -hmm. We absolutely do, um, mm -hmm. including prophesied in the, in the future, yeah. in, in the kingdom of God. Okay. Interesting, and we'll, we'll probably come back to that. Actually, let's let's go to that right now. I, when I think about the future, I think about Zechariah chapter 14. Mm -hmm. And in Zechariah, it, God is talking about this future time after Jesus Christ returns in a time when the nations around the earth are going to be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. And he, he even mentions a penalty right. for those okay. who cho choose not to keep the feast. They're actually going to come up or if they don't come up to Jerusalem to keep the feast, God's going to penalize them and say, I'm not going to give you rain until that happens. You know, uh, there's a very, Mr. Stroud, are you back? Can you yes. hear us? Oh, that's yes, good. I okay. I, I, I apologize. I don't know what happened. I lost you all of a sudden, but I can hear you now, and I hope you can hear me okay. Yes. Do you want to jump in at this point? or? Well, I, can, I, I sort of lost what, where you were, but uh, uh, when we think about these holy days, it's so common that people want to point to the fact that these were Old Testament days. There's a, there's a very powerful example uh, in, in Acts chapter 12 where King Herod uh, killed James and he sought to kill Peter as well. And what's interesting about it is it mentioned that it was stated that this occurred during the days of unleavened bread. And I thought, how could we deny the fact that we are to keep same holy days that God uh, provided long ago and that they're not over with. They're not done away with. And it's, as you mentioned, Zechariah 14, the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the holy days of God will be kept in the future. And Paul uh, mentions a fact uh, to the Gentiles or to the Corinthian church, uh, which is a Gentile church who was also keeping these holy days. So we know for a fact, based on the Holy Scriptures, that these holy days are meant for all men. Mr. Stroud was referencing Paul writing to the Corinthians. I think it's 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, around mm -hmm. verse 8. And yes. he, he commands the, uh, the, the church to, 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 to essentially uh, observe the days of unleavened bread, to eat the, the, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's being sort of poetic. Mm -hmm. But Paul's writing to a, a Gentile, a non-Jewish church. Yes. Uh, I'd like to add that the holy days, as Mr. Stroud mentioned a few moments ago, they, they reveal this, this great plan of God. You said the same thing, it's plan of salvation. And there's this wonderful scripture, Galatians 3.29, that says, you know, essentially, I'm going to paraphrase it, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, right? There's not bond or free, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither man nor woman. Well, what's that talking about? Well, obviously there's men, and obviously there's women, right? Mm -hmm. what, it, what, it, what Paul is saying, what God is saying through Paul, is that in the church, we're all Abraham's seed. Man, woman, doesn't matter. And then what does it say? It says, heirs according to the promise in Galatians 3, verse 29. Well, the holy days reveal God's way of giving, delivering on that promise to mankind mm -hmm. and womankind, right? The holy days reveal this promise of Christ being the Passover and all these, what these days represent. And that's available to everyone. Man, yes. woman, Gentile, Jew, doesn't matter. Well, let's, let's actually push on just a little bit 
And let me ask you the question uh, we've been talking about Holy Days sort of in generalities. I mentioned a number of them in my opening comments, but what are the, the biblical Holy Days? Can, can, can you gentlemen just briefly outline what the biblical Holy Days are and let us know what they picture? Uh, because this comes back to what Mr. Stroud was talking about at the beginning. There is a plan, uh, but if we just list the Holy Days without describing what they picture, we don't then see the plan of God. So, Mr. Seselka, if you'd start maybe with the spring holy days okay, or, or holy festivals. Th thank you. So, there are seven uh, holy days, and uh, Mr. Stroud will know where I'm going with this. I'll let him uh, 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 cl close the loop on this. There are seven holy days. There are also seven steps in God's plan, is, is how we'll often phrase it. Now, Passover is not a holy day. That may be a little bit, some people may wonder, that's odd, but, but Passover itself is a solemn time. It's, it's, it's a, a commanded uh, observance. Uh, Jesus Christ in, instituted, implemented these, these new uh, symbols. And so a, a Christian who has been baptized into the body of Christ, who is, who's made that covenant, that commitment with Christ, uh, will observe the Passover. So Passover step one, it's not a holy day. Passover step one, and that is about accepting Jesus Christ's sacrifice. His shed blood is what provides propitiation and so forth you know, for our sins, a vital, vital. You, you, you cannot progress, you cannot pass go, you cannot move forward without Passover and, and Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Of course, then we have the days of unleavened bread. The days of unleavened bread, the first day is a holy day, and then the seventh day is a holy day. So you have two holy days there in that one festival. And there we don't eat leavened bread, we eat unleavened bread. And that reminds us that we are to you know, feed on Christ metaphorically, mm -hmm. grow more righteous. You know, we, we can't earn uh, our way into the kingdom, but we can try, put forth effort mm -hmm. to grow more righteous. So, so forgiveness of sin, covering sin, growing in righteousness, those are the spring holy days. Okay. Mr. Stroud, what about the, the summer festival and, and the fall, fall festivals? Okay, and, and thinking about the summer festival of Pentecost, um, you know what's, in, what's so incredible is that God will eventually give us, the, uh, or have given those of us who have accepted Christ, the most powerful gift we could ever have, and that's the gift of the Holy Spirit, to guide our minds and to help us to learn more of his plan of salvation and also to be first fruits uh, mm -hmm. of God. Then we fall down towards the seventh month, the, the month of finality. And, and this is the seventh month on the, on the uh, Hebrew, on the calendar, Hebrew right? calendar, Yes, on the Hebrew calendar. And imagine all of a sudden hearing this loud trumpet blast around the world, and, and, and it pictures uh, the trumpet blast of, uh, of the return of Jesus Christ. You know, there, in ancient Israel, trumpets were blown to introduce a king, a new king, and Christ's title is King of Kings. And it's so wonderful to know that some one day soon the trumpet will blast and Christ will return. The saints will be resurrected. And then it moves. The next step in God's plan comes forward. And remember, the Feast of Trumpets is what I'm speaking of. It's also a holy day, a day of rejoicing uh, because of what's going to happen, especially God's intervention by sending Christ to put an end to man's reign. Then we go to, to the next uh, holy day. It's called the Day of Atonement, and this is wonderful. But imagine a world without Satan, the devil, because what's going to happen then is Satan will be removed and Christ will come in and he will reign as king of kings and the saints will be with him. Imagine a world without Satan, the devil, 
which could lead right into our very next uh, plan for salvation, and that is the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which is a seven-day festival followed by an eighth day. But during that time, we, we can also understand it as a uh, spiritual Sabbath or a millennial Sabbath where Satan will be removed. And here is what's key about that particular time. The knowledge of God will spread over the whole world. It's so wonderful to know that. And people everywhere will want to go up and learn of God's way. But I want to pose a last question. And what about the rest of the world? What about those that God chose not to call? What about those that never heard of Christ? There's the last festival follow, uh, following the Feast of Trumpets or the uh, Feast of Trump. I'm sorry, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. What happens next? What about all those billions of people who never heard the name of Christ around the world or were not called by God? The last festival is called the Great Day, and the last Great Day, and Christ referred to it as the Great Day of the Feast. Imagine uh, uh, word going out and graves are open, people coming forth. We're talking about a second resurrection, but this is not a second chance for anyone. Is the very first chance. Revelation 20 reveals it very clearly, which makes God's word just that much more powerful when you understand that he has an amazing plan. And that plan is for every human being to have a chance to be in his family. So, Mr. Stroud, so, you just outlined, not only helped outline all the holy days in Mr. Seselka as well, and their basic meaning. Uh, are there any scriptures, Mr. Seselka, that help show that there's actually meaning in these holy days? Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> often we will review Psalm chapter 22 as we get close to the, the Passover. Um, I would like our listeners, uh, respectfully ask them to jot down Psalm 22 and uh, maybe study this, read it later. Many theologians, even people that don't understand the, the full truth of the plan of God, understand that Psalm 22 was written you know, many, many hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was even born. And it's a prophecy. And many theologians understand that Psalm 22 uh, it talks about Jesus Christ's um, uh, <clears throat> cru crucifixion, the arrest and, and the crucifixion. Um, I won't read all of it. I mean, obviously not, not enough time. But uh, verses uh, 1 and 2 uh, talk about, um, you know, uh, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ, uh, when he was on the stake or the cross uh, and our sins were put on him, God had to distance himself, the Father briefly, because of that, uh, the, the sin that was laid on, on Jesus Christ, which is our sin, you know, and the sins of the world. So many people understand that it's about uh, the, the, the arrest and crucifixion. But to, back to what Mr. Stroud was saying and what you were asking about, this plan of God, salvation for everyone, it, it begins with Passover. But, but Jesus Christ, who, who inspired Psalm 22, mm -hmm. he was thinking beyond his crucifixion, even in Psalm 22. And when you read Psalm 22, and I think this is just fascinating, you get to verses that, that, that allude to not just the spring holy days, but the fall holy days. It's, it's, a, it's phenomenal. You get to, uh, you know, in verses 16, 17, it's talking about his bones and so forth. That's, that's an allusion to being on the stake. Uh, but then you get to verse, uh, say, for example, uh, 25, um, 
my, my, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. What's this referring to? This is referring to the gospel going out to the world in a bigger future way. Uh, you come down to verse 27. I would ask our audience, especially those who maybe think, well, you know, uh, are, is the fall, are the fall holy days going to happen? You know, is there salvation and, and will there be a kingdom of God that will be established on the whole world? Read Psalm 22, verse 27 and 28. What did Jesus Christ mean by those words he inspired David to record? All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the eternal. All the families of the nations shall worship him. The kingdom is the eternal. So he rules over all the nations. That hasn't happened yet. That's future. That's future. And I, I would love to spend more time, but you know, mm -hmm. verse 29, all, the earth will be prosperous. That's the kingdom of God, the millennium, which is what the Feast of Tabernacles pictures, which Mr. Stroud just went over. So the mind of God has been um, uh, revealing through scripture from antiquity, this great plan. And even in Psalm 22, which many people understand is about the, the sacrifice, it reveals this great plan. It's amazing, encouraging. And I'd like to just point out to our viewers as well, these are just a few scriptures. Uh, we can go into a lot more depth about scriptures that support God's plan through each of these festivals. And we'll come back to it at the end of the program. But we do have a booklet that's available to you about God's holy days that we'll offer you at the end that goes into each of these holy days in more detail. At this point, though, Mr. Stroud, I'd like to come back to you uh, with a third question here, major question. When we look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, let's come back to this particular holy day because that's what we're really focusing on today. What is the significance of the Feast of Unleavened Bread when we think about that? What does it mean? Mr. Soselka started to talk about that, but what does it mean and how, how do we keep it? Well, one of the things we remember uh, is on this particular day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Mr. Soselka alluded to the fact that there are two holy days. What happens then is God's people gather together to worship before God. And you know, it's a reminder of the importance of putting sin out of our lives, removing uh, the sin from us. Um, and you think about this. Paul reminds us that mankind is enslaved to sin. Isn't it wonderful to know that God is so involved in the fact that he wants us to be free from sin, become slaves of righteousness? So God's people meet together on this day, and it's an amazing day because we get to worship, and we get to uh, review the, the scriptures that are listed on this particular day to learn more of how sin is to be removed from our lives. Ancient Israel was brought out of sin, but in all reality, they never left Egypt because it wasn't in their heart. And God is trying to remove sin from our minds and from our hearts to have a change of heart towards his law and his commandments. Mm -hmm. Mr. Soseka, let me ask you more specifically, <clears throat> when we think about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, aside from uh, attending services uh, to worship God and to learn more about his ways, what else does God instruct us to do sort of leading up to and, and during this feast? You know, I'm really glad that you asked that question and uh, um, shame on us if we forgot to mention that in today's program. We are supposed to get leaven out of our homes um, before the Days of Unleavened Bread begin, that was instructed in Leviticus, and it's referenced in the New, New Testament as well. And uh, it's not just a ritual. That, that, that reminds us that leaven pictures sin during that time. 
and um, we're supposed to really examine ourselves. So the time that we spend examining our home to look for is there bread and you know yeast and leaven, and, and we get rid of it. And that, it's, it's important to obey God and do that. But God's goal isn't just that we uh, you know do some spring cleaning. His goal there is that we examine ourselves. Where do we have the sin of pride, the sin of whatever you know, uh, whatever our, our our problems are, and so. Um, so the days of unleavened bread then would be seven days where our homes have no leaven in them, representing sin, and we eat leavened bread, which is the bread of Un unleavened, bread? Uh, unleavened bread. Thank you, which is the you know bread of sincerity and righteousness and truth, which pictures God's law and God's instruction. You mm -hmm. know, and Christ represented through through the, through Scripture. Mm -hmm. We can only. Um, we, we, the, the more that we feed on Christ, that's a phrase we'll use, the more that we have Christ in us, the more we are aligned and close to God. The, you know, Romans 8, 7 says the carnal mind's enmity against God. It's against mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. So we've got to get rid of our mind and, and have Christ's mind in us. So days of unleavened bread sort of point us to those practical steps. Okay. okay. Mr. Stroud. So, yes. One other thing that I'd like to add to what Mr. Selkwood was saying is that when we think about the, the leaven, we're talking about the fact that something puffs up, it spreads out in the door, in the door, I'm sorry. And if it's, if we don't remove sin from our lives, it can affect others. When we look back at ancient Israel, just imagine how many times the actions uh, of their kings and leaders, how much it affected others that surrounded them. So, so leaven uh, puffs up and Paul said we, we had to remove it because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So it can affect a lot of things if we don't get sin out of our lives. So God helps us to focus on the importance of getting that sin or out of our lives. And we do so, as he said, by removing it from our homes as a reminder of how important it is with God's help to remove sin from our lives. Well, that's a powerful that's point and an analogy that a little leaven leavens the whole lump and even a little sin can cause problems in our lives and draw us away from God. Let me ask you another question, gentlemen, here. I'd like you to think about your personal experiences with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we'll start with Mr. Siselka, but we'll go to you then, Mr. Stroud. Uh, when you think about your personal experiences, I would assume they've been pretty positive over the years. And both of you have been doing this for a while. You've understood this truth for a while. Why do you enjoy keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Or, or what about the Feast of Unleavened Bread do you enjoy, Mr. Selka? You know, I'll, I'll reference what Mr. Stroud, a comment he made that, that God's feasts are a joy. And, and, and they are. Um, the Days of Unleavened Bread, yes, it's, it's important for us. I remember as a kid, uh, helping my parents clean up, you know, clean out the leaven. Uh, I remember as a, as a kid, um, which you have limited understanding of really what sin is and righteousness is as a little kid, but you can understand a little bit about right and wrong. You can understand a lot about right and wrong and mm -hmm. obeying your mom and dad and things like that. And I remember um, helping my parents, and I remember my parents taking it seriously. And that example, uh, you know, stuck with me, and I thought, wow, you know, uh, they're, they're obeying God, but they're doing it in a joyful way. Now we're cleaning out the, clean out the, the, the leavening and things. Um, I also remember my parents talking to me about lessons. Okay, you know, here now parents should teach kids lessons 365 days a year. But that was a time when they would say, here's what we need to work on as a family or you or, or you know, whatever. And so it was a, a time really when um, I got some additional positive instruction. Mm -hmm. And frankly, kids want that. 
kids, contrary to what a lot of people think, kids like loving instruction. And I think even grown-ups like loving instruction. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, the Days of Unleavened Bread is God giving us lo loving instruction um, even when we're grown-ups. Because we, we need that. We want it. We mm -hmm. learn from, from example. We learn from doing some of these physical things. Thank you. Mr. Stroud, what have you enjoyed about keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Well, one of the things that I enjoy, uh, Dr. Scott, is I, I look back over the years and remember how many times we've done this. And, you know, when you're working in your homes and in your possessions and things to try to look for the leavening, one of the vital lessons you find out is that without God's help, you can't remove all of the sin that, that needs to be removed. And during these days, you learn that and and you, and you get troubled when you're looking to remove things from your house and maybe later on you find something, realizing that if it wasn't for God, we could never remove the sin that's there. Yeah. So, so there's some very positive lessons in, in keeping these days and making sure you work diligently to, to look for things in your home, but never forget the lesson that it is God who guides us to look for that sin, to, to get it out of our lives, just like we look for it in our homes. And my wife and I, we rejoice together, we do this together, but it is trying when you find something a little late and you, you realize you missed it. So when you're in service of likeness to self saying you're learning the lesson God continues to teach us about these holy days and the lessons we need to learn that sin has to go. Sin is devastating and it needs to be removed, but we always will need God's help to do so. So funny, real quick, right. funny, real, real quick, very quick, funny uh, uh, Days of Lemon Bread story of somebody finding uh, some leaven. Uh, I thought I'd heard it all, right? And uh, I think all of us have, have found some box of crackers or a cracker somewhere, you know, day two or three, and you think, oh man, that, you know, I, I should have should have found that. And that and that's that's a that's that's a instructive, right? It's got spiritual it's lessons. Remind, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I remember this one story. I'll just tell it real quick. Uh, this was great. Uh, there was a, a longtime church family. They thought they had done it. Uh, they thought they'd successfully deleavened everything. And it was like months later, after the days of unleavened bread, and they had bought a new used car uh, uh, at some point within the prior year. And long story short, they found, they had taken it in the shop for uh, maintenance. And, and they bought this car before the days of unleavened bread. And true story, there was a, uh, they had to do some work and, and you know how they would spray the undercoating in the, uh, under the car to keep the salt off of it up, up north? There was a sandwich. There was a sandwich that had been sprayed under, somehow underneath the car stuck to the, uh, the car. So, so I think uh, no matter how hard we work, you know, um, we have to be humble and know that, um, that we have to take it seriously, but we'll never become perfect. Only Christ is perfect. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 5, 8, we're told to feed on him. Eat, you know, this, eat the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You know, we'll never be perfect. Christ is perfect. Mm -hmm. And we've got to fight and work and, and be humble. And, uh, and that's why we do these, keep these holy days every year, not just one time. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? As, as we try and feed on Christ, as you're talking about, we try and become more like Christ. Christ was perfect, as you say. Christ was the lawgiver. And to become like him, we have to do what he did which is really telling. It's not earning anything, but it's, it's following his command to become like him. Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Stroud, real quickly, if you could just clarify, uh, maybe just give us a couple examples or a little bit better explanation. What is leaven, uh, physical leaven? So, I, I didn't hear you. 
What is physical leaven? What are, what are a couple examples of physical leaven? As you talk about de-leavening your home. De-leavening our homes? Yes, what is physical leaven? Physical leaven. Well, when, when we talk about, we're, we're, we're to remove products that contain uh, things such as um, baking soda, baking powder, things that rise, that uh, just like sin would rise and, and, and cause so much trouble in our lives, things that rise and it spreads throughout that door. I think this is what your, what your question is. These yes. are some of the things we have to look for uh, that rise. Again, like the uh, baking soda, self-rising flour is another uh, uh, item that we look for. And there are a list of many things that you could that, that you can look for, baking soda and all those things. Um, you have to really read some of the ingredients that we have to look for those agents that rise up. And it's, it is such a reminder of the dangers of sin that if it's not kept in check, it too will rise and spread and it will cause attitudes and mindsets. And it just puffs up uh, just like you would if you were to use those products to make a cake rise, for example. Okay. Uh, in that. That's very, that's a helpful description. Thank you. Gentlemen, we're, we need to wind down at this point. But let me ask you this, and we'll start with Mr. Siselka. If you could give us a takeaway message for the audience today, what is a point that you'd like to leave the audience with today to take away regarding uh, either the feasts in general or more specifically regarding the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Um, you know, there's so much I'll, you could say. I'll just make it very brief. Uh, I, I'll say one more time that they are a joy to observe, that Jesus Christ kept them. Uh, we can see that he did, that he instructed us to keep them, and that they're a joy. And I will just say that the more years that go by that we observe them in a, in a humble attitude, you know, trying to learn and trying to learn how, how we can uh, get sin out of our lives, how we can uh, grow closer to God, which is specifically a Days of Unleavened Bread uh, principle. As the years go by, they're a joy. They have meaning. These worldly holidays out there, you know, um, they, man, they don't have the meaning at all. They have meaning, but it's wrong meaning. These are a joy, and um, you learn, and you grow close to God, and uh, I'll just kind of wrap up there. You know, we're not, um, we're not earning salvation, but we sure are growing and learning by our obedience, and the holy days are a huge part of us growing closer to God and, 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 uh, and feeding on Christ, becoming a little, a little more righteous, hopefully, as each year goes by. Okay. Thank you. Mr. Stroud, a, a, a takeaway message for the audience from you, please. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I have thought about in, in describing more about this feast, we have Exodus 12 and verse 15, where, where it's stated that we're to eat unleavened bread for seven days. And the command is to eat unleavened bread for seven days. I want to put the emphasis on the seven days. There are only two festival that, festivals that cover seven days. And to Think about this particular festival covering seven days reminds us or should help us understand that sin we should take very serious. And, and God wants us to focus on those days. So, so for those days, you have to challenge yourself to be aware of the fact that sin can creep up at any moment. It can be hurtful, but we have to be sort of spiritually on guard to guard our lives, to guard our thoughts, to guard our attitudes, mindset and be aware of our surroundings, that we don't fall victim to a lot of the schemes of Satan and the devil. Uh, so think about that seven days 
of unleavened bread that we get to focus on putting sin out of our lives. Well, thank you for that thank observation, you. Mr. Stroud. And by the way, sir, it's been a privilege having you on the program today. Thank you for taking the time to join us and looking forward to having you on the program again in the future. Thank you. I do appreciate it. Mr. Soselka, thank you, thank you as well for being on the program again today. You know, the biblical festivals were given by the Lord, the one who later became Jesus Christ. And he called them, as Mr. Stroud pointed out earlier, my feasts. Christ intended his followers to keep his feasts for all time. In fact, in the Bible, we frequently see his injunction to keep them forever. We even see that these feasts being, are going to be kept in the future after Jesus Christ's return to the earth and after his kingdom is established on the earth. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is unique and perhaps to some a bit odd, but its symbols and the actions required to prepare for it and to celebrate it are critical to our Christian walk and to our understanding of the plan of God for mankind, something we've talked about throughout this program today. The truth is that if we lose track of the biblical holy days, including the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we begin to lose track of the plan of God. To learn more about the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the other six biblical festivals, we encourage you to read or listen to our booklet, The Holy Days, God's Master Plan. It's available to read or listen to at tomorrowsworld.org and it is available for free. To learn more about other profound truths hidden in the pages of your Bible, please join us each week on TW Now. Next week, we plan to discuss the growing culture of hate that we're witnessing around the globe today. And we'll also discuss some potential solutions. We invite you again to subscribe, like, or share today's program. And we look forward to seeing you again next week here on TW Now.